here with your off-week content for the Gimme the Loot podcast, the Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition actual play podcast that's streaming now. So we recently got the opportunity to sit down with Evan Rabelais from the Critical Hit Improv Show right here in Austin, Texas. Again, we want to thank Evan for taking the time to come on his show. Make sure you check out the show notes, head down there, and give him a follow on all his socials as you'll hear from him in the broadcast Even though they're not streaming or rebroadcasting the live show in any way yet, you can still show your support by hitting him up on Twitter and Instagram. So as with all our guests, please take a moment and show them a little appreciation for agreeing to come on our show and talk about their creative process, how TTRPGs are involved, and their experiences with the genre. Just a reminder, Gimme the Loot is not a family-friendly show due to a mix of profanity, crude humor, and gore, although there's slightly less gore on the live streams. And since this is a rebroadcast of a live stream, the audio quality will be a little bit different than normal. You'll hear a few more bits, bobs, ums, clicks, clacks, and the occasional kazoo. So just bear with us because the folks that we have come on the show really do have some engaging stuff to say about their particular creative endeavors and the TTRPG space in general. Next week, we've got another campaign episode coming out. This week on the streams, Blackness and Dragons will be coming back as a rematch from our Gimme the Belt charity tournament last year. And hopefully we'll have set up a really new cool overlay and streaming environment, which was done by Kelly from Tabletop Pities. We're hoping to have that ready, but we may not be there just yet. But we're really hoping to debut that this week. We are now officially, hey, Twitch affiliates. It's official. Twitch official which means we are going to consistently be streaming seven nights a month, every Thursday, 7.30 Central. But on top of that, we'll be adding some other nights here and there, depending upon guest scheduling and the availability of the other cast members. Some of those extra nights may be an extra guest quest. Some of those may be an afternoon where I get on and play Baldur's Gate for an hour. There's going to be a lot of different content. The best thing you can do is get over to Twitch and follow us at twitch.tv forward slash gmdlcast and of course follow us over on our socials at gmdlcast on facebook twitter and instagram but twitter is really that most active one and you'll get all kinds of updates about when we go live another really easy way to find out what we've got coming up as well as getting access to a ton of other bonus content is get into our discord by joining our patreon at patreon.com forward slash gmdlcast we've met a couple of patreon goals so we'll be working on the todd the tiefling cosplay video we are just seven patrons away from the jamie folding laundry as tingle from zelda stream i don't make this stuff up you guys ask for this this is on you this is not on me and a few more away from getting moyle that bear costume so we can move him from the digital realm to the real realm So yeah, head on over there, see some of the other stuff you can get, like the Hunter's Party and some other really cool stuff. And as always, thank you for listening and hope you enjoy the rebroadcast of the show. Boom, sneak attack, like every stream we start. Wow, Jesus Christ. Just when you least expect it, we start streaming. (laughs) Hey gang, uh, it's uh, Turner here with with another episode of Guest Quest, the uh, TTRPG interview and talk show brought to you by the Gimme the Loot podcast. 
the Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition actual play podcast that will probably talk the most shit about Jazz this week because he didn't bother to show up about the stream. Joining us is Evan Rabelais? So close, just Rabelais. Oh, you were, Rabelais. Seer, you were hair, there we hair there, yeah. I got in my head, man. I got in my head. Uh, <laughs> Evan is a stand-up comedian based, up in, based in Austin, Texas. He's originally from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He's the mm-hmm. host of Critical Hit, a tabletop comedy show where he plays Dungeon Master for three adventuring comedians. Evan, thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. And uh, here to give Evan the business with me this week is... I guess that would be me. Uh, it's, it's Harlan. I play Todd on the Gimme the Loop podcast. And I am starting to question, when I wasn't here, was trash talked about me? Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, man, I missed it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For the record, that's how you you not showing up to a stream is how you ended up having to cosplay for our most recent uh, for our most recently achieved Patreon goal. Thank you, patrons. I don't think that's how I don't think that's how it happened. Yeah, that's, yeah. Ex- that's exactly how. That's why uh, Jamie's on deck up next. Seven patrons away from that laundry folding stream, dressed as Tingle from Zelda, and uh, we're only seventeen patrons away from uh, us buying a bear costume for Andrew to stream as Moyle. Uh, a photorealistic in IRL Moyle. So, uh, but also here this week, in addition to Harland, who realized what happens when he's not in the room, is uh, Jamie. I play Eldrin on Gimme the Loot, and I am also a future Tide Pod uh, in, uh, sp- spokesperson. So, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm Anthony, and I play Baba on the Gimme the Loot podcast. That's good. Are you, are you endorsing Tide Pods for their taste? Or no, for, for the laundry. For the laundry. Oh, hey man, he, is, he is keeping it tied in to yeah. the content. Yeah. That's the important thing. But, well, I see. I like what you did there. That's all but, you did. but it's not about us or our non-existent sponsors. Uh, if you'd like us to show for you, uh, email me at gm at, D, G, uh, GM at DM, gmdlcast. DM at gmdlcast.com. Damn it. So close. Uh, we're here to talk about Evan and his improv show. Uh, so Evan, uh, t- t- uh, originally from uh, from Baton Rouge, that's kind of yes. where you got into the improv scene. Yeah. Um, what brought you, what brought you to Austin? Uh, the comedy, uh, Baton Rouge. Look, people are always shocked to hear this. There's not a thriving comedy scene in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm not really? shocked. <laughs> people, I, I tell people that all the time, and they go, "What? I could have sworn it was like a top tier city." for stand up and improv. And I'm like, I know I thought the same thing. That's why I only stayed there for seven years (laughs) while during, while I was doing comedy. We were there for three. Born and born and raised there, but, uh, we were there for three years. I did too. You only there for two? I got, I got out early. Yeah. Yeah, No, I was, I was in Baton Rouge for three years too. I was there technically as a, as a human for like 26, 28. Yeah. 28 Mm. years. But uh, I, I did comedy there since 2012. And then uh, I visited Austin like twice a year to come do stand up here and, and do all the shows. And it was like, it was my number one destination for when I got the chance to move in 2018, finally had the opportunity, took the plunge and here I am failing miserably in front of more people than ever. <laughs> but, but with such enthusiasm, that's the important thing. That, <laughs> Look, that, if, that, you're, that if you're going to fail, fail spectacularly. That's what I've always said. That's right. If you can't, if you can't baffle them with you, your brilliance, uh, dazzle them with your bullshit. There we go. Um, or the, the reverse of that. Um, so talk about the transition from stand up into improv, because I think that's kind of where the, the history gets us to what you're doing now. So I started doing stand up, uh, like I said, in 2012. Uh, my friend John. Uh, had been doing it for like a year or two and invited me out to a show of his. 
I show up to the show and it was dog shit. And I was like, oh, I can do this. Signed up for an open mic uh, a week later and started doing comedy. And at that exact same time, some of the guys that did stand up in Baton Rouge also were part of an improv troupe. And I went and saw them a couple of times and they invited me to join the group. So I started doing improv almost the exact same time I started doing stand up, but stand up was my intro to it. Um, I don't really do traditional improv anymore. I haven't done that mm-hmm. since I moved to Austin, but I still have those roots and improvising has definitely always been a strong suit of mine, especially when it comes to D and D, which is, yeah. I've never run a pre-built campaign. I've only run homebrews or stories that I write. Um, because I really have a lot of joy in pressuring myself to come up with something good. And oh, yeah. the, the best compliment I ever received doing D and D was, uh, I fully improvised like a whole campaign from, from scratch and like session two or three, this guy who was in the group, Michael just goes, man, I, this is such a well-written campaign. And I went, I have not, everything today was improvised <laughs> every <laughs> single thing. So like that compliment kind of just set me on it. And yeah, once I had the chance to, to start doing the show that kind of combined those two things, um, I really not stopped since I, I, this has become a real passion of mine. And I just want to hope to grow it into something even better. So, so where, when, what edition did you start D and D on? I was two, three, four, five. I'm never, I've never been a huge fan of the high fantasy setting. So I actually didn't play D and D for a long time. I played uh, mm-hmm. a lot of either sci-fi related tabletops or like there was a legend of the five rings, which is like a feudal Japanese fantasy setting. But mm-hmm. I never really played D and D until fifth edition when some friends of mine picked up the uh, the books and we just started to play a campaign together. Yeah, five E I think is and intentionally so the very easy to come into. I mean, it's mm-hmm. very welcoming to new players. It's taken the D twenty mechanic or the D twenty system and really polished it. Um, and then it it adds some really kind of bootstrap story elements that if yeah. you're not somebody who's good at coming up with that stuff, I like. It. I'm a big I'm a big advocate of the background system as a mm. way for new players to come up with a rich backstory for their character by just going i want to be a sailor this is how sailors act yeah it's uh it's a it's a great addition to both handhold if you need it but also just let you do literally whatever yep. you want with the system yeah so it, it's kind of a perfect mesh of, of the things i try and do when i run a campaign so uh, so talk about how the show starts then if you don't mind so so you're into improv you're in D&D mm-hmm. you know that there's there's some co- so so wh- how long has critical hit been going on uh, critical hit's been going on since 2019 oh wow so a bit <laughs> yeah i mean it's gone through a few different iterations originally it was just a stand up show i did in a board game shop like the name kind of just was more thematic than mm-hmm. anything uh that did not last super long. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was not the best attended stand-up show I've ever run. Um, but then uh, I had the opportunity to, to move venues. And with that change of venue came a bit more freedom mm-hmm. and a bit more like actual production value. So I just took I, running like a D&D improv show was kind of in the back of my mind for a while. And I was like, well, here's the chance. Let's, let's go ahead and just yeah. try it. And uh, it took a lot of thinking and processing and tinkering to really get a system down that works for a live show. That's only an hour long. Yeah. Um, but I think where it is now is a really nice sweet spot of actual D and D, but also absolutely not D and D, but also comedy, but also entertaining the whole time, but also, you know, always trying to bring in new elements and, um, 
trying to improve the show a little bit at a time each month. Yeah, geez, dude, an hour. That is that my I tip my hat to you. I I have anxiety about doing a three hour one shot, getting <laughs> an entertaining package put together that pulls in all the right elements in an hour is yeah, is an act of production in and of itself, I imagine. It's it's definitely the biggest challenge because uh it's very easy to fall into the same patterns when you only have an yeah. hour because you want to just shove as much D D into that hour as possible but you don't want to always do the same things. Like, yeah, you want to see goblins or orcs or you want to see bugbears and you want to see like all kinds of things, but you have to kind of step away from it for a second and go, mm-hmm. as long as the story is fun and entertaining, you can always try and throw some new things into it, but it doesn't always have to be go to the cave, kill the goblins, which in a regular D and D game, that is the f- an yeah. hour is go to the cave and kill some goblins. So I also had to like really strip down what D and D is. We don't use anything except for a D20. Yeah. It's the only dice we use. Um, and it's kind of both your, um, it, it's it's your roll to attack and also your roll mm-hmm. to do damage. Like I want to shoot that goblin in the face with an arrow. Well, roll your 20. If you get an 18, guess what? That arrow goes through that goblin's face and he's fucking dead. That's, yeah. it, it, one to 20 now becomes an indicator of not just can you do something, but also how effective it is at doing that thing. Um, and it, it moves along quickly. Like the crowd understands what the D20 right. is. Uh, and if they don't, it's really easy to catch on. Uh, the character sheets aren't really super detailed. It's just, Hey, here's what your weapon is. Here's what your character is. Here's your spells. And here's some items that you can use along the way. And it's a really bare bones, um, stripped down character sheet that I got. I use a fastcharacter.org just to mm. like whip up a quick character sheet and print them out. And super simple. That reminds me a lot of like the um, God, like the Lone Wolf Adventure books that were kind of popular in, in the 90s, mm-hmm. kind of that similar streamlined system that were, were kind of made for solo play that really reduced it down to a few a few dice. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah. funny how good, uh, how, how well Wizards of the Coast has branded the transition to the D20 system, because even if you don't play D&D, you know what a D20 is. Like everybody, I think, is right. It's. It's become synonymous with with just nerddom in general, the same way the Pokeball yeah. has. Like everyone understands immediately what it means when they see a D twenty. Why are you shaking your head? Like you, because like, I didn't know. I had no clue what a D twenty was. <laughs> the closest thing that looked like a D twenty was a Scattergory dice to me. Um, I just I never I well, never that's, that's I never seen <laughs> I'd never seen a D twenty. This really explains why you kept referring it to as the funky golf ball when we played <laughs> the first five or six sessions. I edited that out, but the uh, the it, it number literally was the the class that I took in full cell, which explained like where's the oh. like the first time I had seen a D twenty or anything can like that. I, we can we can Evan we can still see you, uh, but yeah I don't know. Hang on just a second, guys. Can you got us? One second. Uh, Evan is also an accomplished mime. Uh, he'll, be, he'll, he'll be back. Um, I couldn't imagine doing stand-up comedy in a uh, a board game. Yeah. <laughs> wait, for, wait for him to go. There he, okay, there yeah. we go. No, we, uh, we, we said this is uh, that Evan is also an accomplished mime, and this was his opportunity to... Uh, no, Harlow was just saying he can't imagine doing... A playing a, a game on stage i mean because we 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 don't do our play sessions really live stream we do we got some special pvp content or some very kind of action oriented small bite stuff we had uh jeremy cobb from three black halflings on to kill the guys um uh they survived which is unfortunate but you sound so disappointed like <laughs> 
I was. I was. Um, I, I, I had high hopes. Did you wild my magnificence? No. Um, the... <laughs> the 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 pacing has got to be i think one of your biggest concerns right as far as yeah um that took the longest to kind of figure out when i was planning the show and that's the first couple times i did the show um i basically had to have a sheet of paper in front of me it's like here's what i want to hit mm. and the first like five or six times i did it i was constantly having to scratch entire storylines out as the show was happening yeah because it's like, oh, it's already been 45 minutes. We're going to start wrapping this up. Um, so we got to skip that, skip that, skip that. And I've, I think I finally nailed just at least internally when I'm planning the show about how many story beats I need to hit mm -hmm. for it to hit an hour. Like how many locations do I go to? How many people do they talk to? How many enemies do they fight? Um, I also have to keep in mind, like if I have people who do the show more than once, I learn kind of what that person does during the show and I can learn their pacing also. So like next month, uh, actually in the next one's on the second and, uh, I have a person who's been on, this is their second time and a person, who, this is maybe their third time playing. So those two players both will have like prior experience. They kind of know the beats, they know the speed, they understand where we're going to go. And, uh, it really helps a lot when the players also understand that pacing and uh, I think I've kind of nailed it. Like, there's basically three to four locations they can go to and two big fights they can get into and fill both of those things out with, you know, dialogue options and different paths they can take to get to the, to the end of the story. Yeah. So uh, the, the people that you have come on, they're all Austin comedians or there are other like other traveling comedians that are coming in as well. Uh it's mainly Austin comics just because they're the easiest to book because yeah. they're here. Right. Um, but if, if someone comes into town and happens to be on a week that critical hits happening, I'm happy to throw them on. Like right. the, the very first show actually featured a comic from Baton Rouge who was visiting town. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, he was excellent at the show immediately because he's also, he was in the improv group that I, that I joined as well. So we had a lot of really good chemistry. So he and I improvising on stage together was, was pretty compatible from the get go with that show. And um, it's, it's mainly just comedians just because uh, it is by nature a comedy show, but mm -hmm. I'm always open to having like, if someone interesting or entertaining wants to come on the show, I'm always like, yeah, let's, let's, let's have a spot open. Even if you're not traditionally a comedian in, in Austin. Do, um, how many of the, or what percentage of them have played D and D or played a tabletop game before? Are they all, is it, is it, is that, is it just, Hey, look, this sounds like a cool new comedy improv idea. I'll want to try it. Or is it, Oh shit, I get to play D and D and get a show in at the same time. What's the, what's the draw you think? Uh, I definitely have people who do have D and D experience. Actually, uh, Ava, who's she's going to be on for the third time. She was in my D and D group uh, for a brief moment before uh, the pandemic hit. So, um, she is someone who I thought of immediately for the show because she knows D and D. She understands what I'm trying to do here. Uh, a lot of people haven't played before, and this has been a fun introduction to for them. A lot of people have played plenty, uh, like this guy Mike Weeby, who's a fantastic comedian and musician in town he hadn't actually played D and D in like decades, but had played before. And so it's kind of like a fun way to reintroduce him back into the world and get that, that muscle going again. Um, but a lot of times it is also just, Hey, comedians love doing anything that's fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if they get to be fun, uh, be funny, have fun and not burn their material, they're going to jump on it. So come do this weird thing most comedians will absolutely jump on that unless it's a thing that they just absolutely think sounds horrendous and not fun to yeah. do. Have, have you seen 
kind of, I mean, the, the creator community for tabletop content uh, mm-hmm. is just been on the, on the rise since, you know, I, I mean, probably even pre critical role. I'm not a big critical role guy. I can't, right. I can't three hours of a D and D show. It just, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I love you guys, but I can't props to them, but I'm yeah, in the same boat. It's not, it's not, it's not my, it's not my bag. Um, but, but I mean, obviously they're the, the biggest, probably one of the biggest success stories out of the bunch, but I mean, there's, there's a, a slew of, of podcasts, a slew of streams and more and more creator content seems to be, have rushed into that field. Have you, have you guys seen some benefit from that? Has that created more opportunity for you or, or how do you, where do you feel like you're sitting at in that space? Yeah, I think the, uh, the expansion of D and D and pop culture has definitely helped as well. Like a lot more shows, specifically shows that Dan Harmon has a, a finger in mm-hmm. have exploded D and D in popularity. Um, Harmon Quest was really big for, for the D&D community and uh, Rick and Morty has brought attention to it too in, in, in weird moments and ways. Even Futurama had yeah. a whole movie about a D&D campaign, basically. Oh, yeah. And Al Gore was a I level feel... 24 vice president, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, every, every show, I kind of start... I, I, I come out on stage by myself at the beginning of the show and just kind of do a quick intro. Like, hey, here's the show is how many of you have ever played D&D before? Who hasn't? Do, do you guys know what this is? And I'll give it like a quick intro. Like, yeah. here's what you're going to be expecting. And um, I get about 50-50 people who have played and people who haven't. Um, most people have at least heard of Dungeons and Dragons. You know, Stranger Things kind of helped with that too. Oh, heck yeah. And I think that's a big, big thing. The only downside right now I'm, I'm experiencing is people do think I just stole the name Critical Hit from Critical Role, which is not fun. But my response is always like, oh, you wow. try coming up with a fucking name <laughs> for a D&D comedy show. It's not easy. <laughs> hey, ours is a biggie reference and actually has nothing to do with the content of our podcast. So I, I hear you too. Hey guys. People are like, give me the loot. I'm like, well, so you play for randomized loot? I'm like, no. Uh, <laughs> is, is like loot a big part of it? No. Are you guys thieves? No, not really. Even our rogue doesn't rogue very much. The bards. Uh, I've yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, how many times has Todd made a stealth check? Not many. Four. Not many. Not many times. Yeah, how many times does he kick down a door rather than pick it? Oh, many times. Every time. Many times. <laughs> did he coin, Every did time. he coin the phrase kick it before you pick it? Yes. And yes. Is, yeah. 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 That would okay. be a direct yeah, reference gonna, to Biggie, though, kicking the door. I'm going to steal that one. I'm going to steal that <laughs> no. one. That's good. That's, that's really good. But, yeah, that's, uh, that's our rogue. That's our guy. Uh, he's a swashbuckler. What are you going to do? Uh, and guys, uh, the, the rest of y'all f- pop in with questions as, as you have them. Um, and then we'll, we'll turn it over to the chat in, in a bit. I have a question. Sorry. Yeah. So oh, you're um, the comedians that do it. Are they, or do they come from an improv background? Cause I could imagine that if you didn't come from an improv background, doing a, a, a stand up right there, wouldn't be your, your thing. Maybe I'm wrong, but right. No, actually I've had a couple of people who do have improv backgrounds. And early in the show, I, I kind of focused on that when I booked comedians, just because, you know, a little less worry in my mind. Like if you've done improv, you know how to improv. Um, but I also have always tried to merge the stand-up and improv communities. Kind of like how I said earlier, if you give a comedian an idea, like, Hey, come have fun. They're going to want to jump on it. And a lot of standups really, um, don't do a lot of improv and a lot of them would be very good at it. And so I use it as an opportunity, like, Hey, people who don't do improv or haven't never been booked to do improv, come dip your finger, you know, come dip your toe in the water and, uh, really experience what it's like to not have a safety net of your material on stage and also maybe 
realize that improvising can be fun. It's not just some dumb, very pretentious art form, which it is. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's also like a good thing to have in your back pocket. Like improv really did help me be better Mm. at stand up. And I'm very grateful for my time doing improv. And that's kind of what I want to bring to the table for other stand ups. Like, hey, come try what you're not necessarily comfortable with. And and I I would think that D&D would be a great access point for that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, even if you haven't played tabletops before, yeah. find somebody from the last two or three generations that hasn't played one of the final fantasies. I, there, there is such a cultural context for some kind of, fuck even mm-hmm. Madden has role playing elements to it, you know, now. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the rule structure can help make the transition into improv easier. Like that's why one of the biggest laughs I always get during the show is when a player is like, I want to try to do this. And I'm just like sitting behind my DMs ring on this. Yeah. yeah, you can try. <laughs> let's, let's let's see how yeah. it goes. You can certainly try is one of the most loaded phrases in the English language when it comes out of a DM's mouth. Oh, so that, oh, so are, are you touching it? You know what I mean? So you're you're going to walk around to the front of the statue. Let me just be clear: you're walking in front. Yeah, I mean it's 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 funny how universals I. I you know, I, I, I'm, oh, I'm fucking old. I am yeah. goddamn old. I agree. <laughs> uh-huh. And where previous generations, where it wasn't as accessible and there wasn't as much community buy-in just right from the rip, it, it's, it's been really kind of cool to see that transition to where it is a little bit more of a shared language uh, among people. Yeah. How many, uh, at the end of, cause I'm guessing you, you're doing a comedy show and like you said, it's 50, 50 people who play D and D people who don't play D and D. How many people right. probably do you think anyone asked you, well, I was thinking about getting into D and D from it. Like how many people do you, how many converters do you think you get from, from the show that you guys do? Probably a couple. No one's ever like explicitly told me, um, too many times like that. But what I do actually at the beginning of the show, just to kind of drive up engagement and excitement is I actually give stuff away at the beginning of the show. And so like, mm-hmm. I'll, I've given away starter kits or essentials kits. I gave away the Rick and yeah. Morty D and D set that they have now. And I go like, Hey, who hasn't played before? Oh, you, would you ever want to? Well, here's how you can get started. And I'll give them the start. And awesome. yeah, just kind of like, Hey, thanks for coming to the show. Thanks for being interested in something you've never tried before. Um, here's a way to get into it if you want. And if not, you can give it to someone else. So, <laughs> Yeah, I've, I haven't checked out the Rick and Morty box set, but I, I did get the Stranger Things box set kind of as a lark for my daughter. Yeah. And then I cracked it open and I went, fuck, this is a legitimately great way to onboard people. Like both as a D for brand new DMs and brand new players, mm-hmm. that box set is a very accessible entry point. I'm like, God damn it. Good job, Wizards of the Coast, you sons of bitches, you magnificent bastards. Yeah. Because I, I, I really didn't expect it to be that much, that, that good at all. But it's a, it's a decent, easy, quick, fun, but not complicated module. It's got a right mix of monsters and, 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 you know, weirdness with just enough of the Stranger Things references. Right. Yeah. I, I was, I, I haven't checked out the written, Rick and, Rick and Morty is because, I mean, I like Rick and Morty, but I was like, I don't, I don't know how, how well that would translate. Like the, um, the Acquisitions Incorporated book from the Penny Arcade. I like the Penny Arcade guys, but the book, I was like, eh, so much of this. Yeah. I never, I didn't crack open the Rick and Morty one. Um, it was just one of those things like, let's have a prize. And I don't want to always give away the essentials kit or the starters kit. So it's some, something a little bit different. Yeah. And uh, I just went to the crowd at the beginning of the show. I was like, who here thinks they're an asshole? You. 
Here's the Rick and Morty kid. <laughs> you, sir, you look like a dick. You know, that's the, the portion of the show where you guys hurl D20s at the people in the audience Ooh. that aren't laughing. That's that's the one that I've seen. I have a giant foam D20 that I have during the show, both as a prop for any photo booths I might have. And also as like, I'll chunk it during the show. I'll just like toss it around. It's fun. So you guys, obviously it's a live show in Austin. Do you, are, are you recording them? Are you rebroadcasting them? Assuming you weren't physically in Austin, Texas, is there any way to kind of access y'all's content in, in cyberspace? Not at the moment. I've definitely uh, thought about it and I've definitely been trying to like kind of keep an eye on, on different ways to do it. Um, part of the issue is just setting up a camera. Um, I, I, I'd probably have to go with the record it and then release it later. I, I don't know if a, a live stream would necessarily work. Yeah, although I do think yeah. it'd probably be better just for um, keeping it kind of like giving people a reason to buy the ticket, you know? Yeah. But I've definitely put thought into it. I just don't necessarily have the equipment for it yet either. So we'll just, I, that's also part of the trying to make the show better each month is just yeah. little improvements here and there. And I'm sure at some point, either a live stream or a rebroadcast is certainly on the table. Yeah, I mean, because it's, it's, uh, I mean, live streaming, I don't understand how it works. I don't understand how any of this works. They, for some reason, they let the old dude who learned how, learned basic when he was in school mm -hmm. run this shit. And I have four fucking classically trained programmers on my cast. Look, the only um, reason I've ever had a podcast is because I had a co-host who had equipment. I'm like, congrats, you are now also the producer. I've got a second one in pre-production because explicitly because somebody approached me, was like, hey man, can we do a spinoff and I'll be the editor? I'm like, okay, you... I, we can do anything as long as I don't have to edit another <laughs> fucking minute of audio ever again. You bet. Let's go. Uh, let's I, I love Fantasy editing things. I love editing things. Like I was actually in film school. That's what I, that's what my degrees in. Oh, so I do I do cool. love the process of editing, but I only like yeah. editing stuff for myself. I hate doing it right. as a job. I hate cool. if I have to do it like as a like. Oh, I have to release this every Tuesday, so that sucks. Mm -hmm. No, if I'm just editing a, a thing for myself, like my own stand up clip or my own videos great so much fun but if someone's expecting me to do something nah i'll pay someone to do it i don't care as soon as you bring a deadline into it it's a whole other uh, uh, other fucking deal so yeah um so when you're not doing the d playing D, &D in, a, in a in a comedy setting mm -hmm. um if you're playing if you're playing in a home game what's your what's your cla go-to class of choice like what's your what's your i have played as a dm a lot more than i've played as a player uh, and I've never played. So God, yeah, I, I played God. So, so God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, whenever I have played, I've always just tried to do something interesting. Like I've never wanted to be like the rogue with the dark backstory. <laughs> like I, rogues are fun. I've played them before. It's so good. But I, I like playing against, against type on rogues. Like let's be cheerful. Let's be sneaky and cheerful. Um, <laughs> so I, I always play the rogues that love using their disguise kits. You know, that, that's, that's the kind of person I, I play as, but I've, I played as a, a dragonborn sorcerer. That was super fun. Um, I actually, I, um, a character I never got to really play as enough was I had a, uh, a water Genasi who was a ranger mm. that was super fun, a very fun class, but I only got to play two or three sessions with him and uh, woefully underplayed. But one day, once I get those, those tables back together, I'll, I'll probably play that again. I do have a, I do have a character that I play from the DM spot though, that I I've injected into almost every campaign on paper. He's a level 13 fighter from the get go. He's always starts at level 13. He, he, he becomes my little like um, story mover. He, he joins the group, 
mysteriously and he's like oh you should go here <laughs> no, <laughs> let's go to this place uh his name is isaac ironclad and i describe him as a front of the box character just picture <laughs> just, just picture the, the, the cover art for a video game long flowing blonde hair like shiny silver armor a big blue cape shield and a sword and he is so affable. He's like, hello, my name is Isaac Ironclad. <laughs> He's so dumb. <laughs> and every time I bring him to a campaign, the players are so suspicious of him. It's so funny. <laughs> They're like, I don't like the way this guy talks. I don't like the way he, he looks. Because he, he's, he's also like, he will sacrifice himself to save children yeah. from a burning building. Yeah. He is so good. They go, I don't trust it. I don't like this guy. Get him out of here. <laughs> yeah. And uh and every time they they end up being correct because <laughs> <laughs> the twist has only been actually revealed once because one campaign lasted long enough to bring it. But he's not actually a human fighter at level 13. He's actually a Rikshasa. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> came back from hell to seek revenge on an enemy of the party. So he joins the party to secretly find the guy they're trying to find. And then he drags that guy to hell. It's, <laughs> it's so stupid. He's my favorite person in the world. And I love him to death. <laughs> There's nothing that will make uh, experienced players go paranoid. than introducing somebody with legitimately good intentions because they have such a hard time believing that wait, wait surely this guy is going to try and kill us eventually. Right. We the, the only people he ever introduces us to try and kill us. Yes. Um, so well, he also gets introduced in very funny ways. Cause um, the first time he introduced, they were walking through a town square and they see a guy begging for money and they go, they roll for like a, for like, what's he look like? And I go, well, He's wearing tattered robes. Looks like he just bought some robes and tattered them early today. He brought diesel robes. <laughs> the shorties don't have a crease. They're really interested. Uh, so they from the gate just so the robe version of jorts yeah uh, he's so fun it's a it's a very fun character yeah we uh that i i hear you on the tortured backstories well mm -hmm. quick show of hands on how many cast members currently on the phone killed their parents and their backstory Oh yeah! Quick show of hands. I, uh, I can't, can't see your hand. All right, like, I don't have a kill parents. Let's raise that really. hand a little bit higher. If you managed to kill your 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 parents twice in your backstory, if you orphaned <laughs> yourself and then killed your adopted father too, Eldrin. <laughs> fucking goddamn it! Yeah, that's that's the lesson I've learned. No more writing backstories in a vacuum for these guys. Like, yeah, they're, 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 session zero has to happen together from now on. He's like, keep it keep it funny. It'll be great. <laughs> Fully agree. <laughs> Todd is an orphan, but Todd may have parents. His parents are not alive. We don't know. We just we don't know if his parents are alive. You just yeah, know. Quit giving me plot hooks, asshole. <laughs> just keep you've, you've said that once already. That's already in the DM notebook. Don't worry. We'll get to it. Look, session session zero is very important for that reason, but also is anyone here actually hateful? Let's find out. <laughs> oh, you hate this other member of the group because of their sexual orientation? Well, get that out of here. Yeah. That's happened before.
<laughs> legitimizing the session zero as an actual part of the process which which they've done now is such a big thing yeah. you know what i mean and I, and i think is 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 so constructive because yeah i mean i've been at i've been at tables where it's just like whoa this I, I don't know where this guy came from, but he does not want to play D and D with us. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know why he bothered to show up. We live That's in the country. Why, uh, he drove 30 minutes to get here. One of my other favorite tabletop games that I, I really wish I could play more often is a game called fiasco. I don't know if you've ever heard mm. of it or played it. And, uh, that game is, a, is always a single session. <clears throat> it lasts probably two hours on the low end for each game. And they like explicitly say in the rule book, part of the process is the setup. So yeah. that's why the setup is written as part of the rules and part of the game structure is a lot time, 15 to 30 minutes for the group to have a setup before the game officially starts. And I, legitimizing se session zero, like you said, is, is absolutely on, on my, my to-do list every single time. Yeah, and that was, I mean, I wasn't a big social media guy, but as we got into the podcasting piece, obviously having to go out and do the promotion piece of it, the tabletop community, and look, there's asshats everywhere. I mean, there, yeah. there really are. You can't throw a rock without without hitting an asshat. We live in Texas. We can't <laughs> pick up a rock without hitting an asshat in some cases. But the going out into the tabletop community and being like, hey, look at us was, and the response and how legitimately cool everybody was, I was like, this isn't the the sewer heap that I've heard of. I'm a little bit worried. Am I on the right fucking Twitter? Um, <laughs> because it, they, it's, it's been surprisingly cool. And, and the tone of the tone of acceptance and the, and the tone of, you know, people coming in and finding different ways to express their identity and express and experiment with their identity has been really neat. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously, you know, there's still a lot of things that, that need to happen and there's, there's a lot of things that still need to improve. Yeah. But that was one of the things that really surprised me kind of coming into it and participating in the space. Yeah, I've had a lot of friends of mine who, uh, well, maybe not a lot, but more than two is, is a lot in a community like this, yeah. uh, who kind of explored the fact that they were trans because they played the opposite gender in D&D. &D. Yeah. And that was kind of like their first foray into exploring that part of themselves and that identity that they have. And it's really cool to always watch when someone gets a chance to, to explore, not just the game and how fun it is, but also themselves as people through, through something like that. So you just really wanted to brag that how you have two whole friends and now the rest of us feel yeah. really bad for the record. <laughs> I don't, I don't like to brag, but I do enjoy it thoroughly. So it's <laughs> friends. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, let's. It's an important part of my process. So, uh, so you guys do a, a show monthly, right? When's the, when's the next one coming up? Uh, it's February second. It's the first Wednesday of the month at eight p.m. every month. And you guys are. I, I did. I did kind of check it out. And notice you guys are requiring proof of COVID vaccination, mm -hmm. and everybody wearing mask. You are taking COVID precautions, which is awesome. Believe me. Yeah, that's part of the wonderful part of uh, working with Fallout Theater here in Austin. Is uh, they are very, very. They've from the get go been very transparent about their their covid policies and they're very safe as safe as humanly possible when you're right. doing comedy in a basement so <laughs> <laughs> how i mean obviously I, I can only imagine you know starting a creative endeavor mm -hmm. on the cusp of the the dumpster fire of the last couple of years yeah and you know not only obviously live shows were dramatically effective but, you know, a lot of people who are, are, you know, starting off their creative careers or even, you know, still establishing their creative careers work in service industry type jobs that then were also. So you, there was really kind of a double whammy yeah. a little bit on that side. You know, you guys were able to kind of maintain through. Can you talk a little bit about really kind of what that was like for you guys or? 
Well, as someone who works in retail, I can tell you, yes, I was hit with a double whammy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I didn't perform comedy for um, 10 months uh, wow. in 2020. So it was like March 14th, 2020 was the last time I did. I went on stage and then I didn't do a show until December. I did an outdoor stand-up show, which was great. I loved it. And it felt really good to be back on stage, but yeah. It was uh, it was definitely hard. It was the longest I'd ever gone not do the longest I'd gone without doing comedy of some kind before that was a week. Like that was the most time I'd ever taken off. Yeah. Um, so ten months was a bit of a transition, uh, but luckily I ended up moving in with two other stand up comedians. So we kind of got to commiserate together the entire time. Like we were just staying inside, watching movies, and then just talking about how much we love and miss comedy and how much we really just miss the gossip mainly. But it was still yeah like that. But yeah, then, you know, retail, I ended up eventually the, the job I have ended up opening back up. So I'm back at work there too. And creatively it, it's still taking a toll. I'm not doing nearly as many shows as I used to. Um, to be fair, I'm not trying as hard as I used to when getting shows. Uh, cause there's a part of me, it's like, I will do any show I'm booked on, but trying to get booked would require going outside. And I don't want to do that right now. So let's not, Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's, it's definitely been a, been a change and a transition. And I think it's kind of helped me find a, a different balance in my life. Cause I definitely was working too hard with comedy at times uh, before the pandemic. So it's been nice to kind of set it aside in that way too. It was like, Oh, time to self-reflect. Good. Let's do that. Yeah. There's gotta be a real push pull there, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can only imagine, you know, we, I, my, day job is logistics and shipping shit. And it's just like, Oh yeah, the supply chain, you guys have heard of it now. Congratulations. I wish it wasn't, you know? Um, so, but, but, you know, on the creative side, you know, we've been lucky that we've got to do this, you know, partially because of, you know, being shut inside. I was like, well, fuck it. We got to find something new and be creative. And that's, that's kind of where the the drive and the time because I just stopped sleep. I just stopped sleeping. I haven't slept for like three years. That's how I've had time to do all this shit. Um, <laughs> right. And you know, that's that's really kind of was what's been the the benefit. Oh, sure. thank you for pointing that out, uh, Anthony. Uh, I can never remember to check out the chat. All right. So uh, Wendell, uh, what uh, Wendell asks uh, Anthony's brother, uh, what made Evan choose the comedy road? Uh, comedy is something that I'd always loved without necessarily realizing I loved it. Uh, Cause like I said, I was in film school. I love movies. I love making movies. I love doing that stuff. So I knew I wanted to be creative, but stand up comedy didn't even really seem like a feasible option. Cause it's not really something people realize you can just start doing. Um, and then the moment I tried it once, because like I said, my friend John introduced me to the world of what comedy is and how accessible it is. I did it once and went, Oh, this, this, this mm. makes sense. Uh, it's yeah. like retroactive. It was like, Oh, the first album I ever bought with my own money was Jim Gaffigan's beyond the pale. Mm. Oh, I used to fall asleep watching comedy central half hour specials. Like, Oh, this, this makes sense in retrospect, why this works out. So it was kind of like a perfect storm of loving it without realizing it's what I wanted to do and then getting right. a chance to do it and realizing that it's exactly what I want. So I feel very fortunate to have like an aha moment with starting comedy and loving it immediately beyond beyond the pale is such a great album and the absolute best bit about mexican food ever <laughs> i can maybe quote that entire special i listened to it so many times when i was a kid it was i watch it still on yeah, yeah it's it's he's a great comic uh, oh, yeah. hot take 
hot take. Jim Gaffigan's <laughs> I, I don't need to bring the controversy to this podcast. I haven't finished his newest one that just dropped on Netflix, yeah. but he is. I'm a big fan of Jim Gaffigan. And it brings me to a question. <clears throat> Excuse me. Who would be one of your favorite comedians? If G- Kyle Kinane, he's my favorite comedian. Hands oh, like, Kyle Kinane is great. He, I, I, I always have like pe- a, a changing top five, but Kyle is always number one. I've seen him live a, a handful of times. He's really cool. We've met a couple times. One of the funniest dudes His I've ever met in my life. Great. It's perfect. It's crazy, great. Was he uh, the only one I've seen? Well, I've seen a few of his like random stuff, but he's mm-hmm. got that. The, is it Degenerates or the stand-ups he does on Netflix? That uh, it's really that, good. It's really good. The, yes, the uh, the clan member bit about the the chef, the clan member chef. <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah, I, um, I, I like Kyle Kinney. Okay, yeah, he he was one of my first people who I met in comedy who kind of made me want to keep doing it because early in comedy, it's it's all just failure, 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 failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to find little pockets of, of success to hold on to. And early on, I went and saw him in Mississippi one night because my friend was opening for him. And we were standing there and next to me was Kyle. And I went, oh my God, that's Kyle Kinane. Oh shit. And I like said something in reference to what happened on stage. I was like, oh, this. And he like, was like oh yeah. <laughs> And like just oh, making him laugh casually. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm doing comedy for six more months. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Peace out. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. It's, Dreken asks, uh, what has a bigger emotional impact, a joke bombing or a joke really crushing it? Uh, whew, a bigger emotional impact. That's really good. Um, they both feel so different. It's hard to compare them. Because like when a joke crushes, it is it's like you can see the matrix once it happens you know oh that worked this well and describing what being in the zone is like is like it's Mm. impossible you can't just you just know what to say and you know how to say it and when when that's happening literally nothing feels better than stand-up comedy like it is the best feeling i've ever experienced when a joke bombs i guess it really depends on the context am i having a bad set I can get over those. You know what? This crowd hates me. <laughs> I hate me. It's fine. I'll get over it. <laughs> when you're having the, the, I think maybe the worst feeling in the world is when you're having a really, really good set. Like let's, let's say I'm doing a 10 minute set. Nothing crazy. I'm up there for 10 minutes and nine minutes in, I'm like, all right, time to, time to close this baby out. Let's finish strong. And I do my closer and it gets nothing. <laughs> and you go, oh. well, what do I do? <laughs> because that was supposed to be my exit. <laughs> I don't really have a whole lot of one-liners that I can just pull out and hope yeah. to save this ending. And if I'm feeling okay, like if the rest of that was good enough to kind of carry me, I can maybe improv a little like, that didn't work. Let's then like out loud kind of work through that. But when it's just going bad and you just want to go, I'm tired of this. I just want to leave and wallow in this for a while. <laughs> It hurts. It's so I'm I'm really going back and forth on this. I you know what I'm standing by. I think a joke crushing has a bigger impact because it stays with me longer. Yeah, that that would have been my follow up. Is which one sticks with you longer? So that uh, it's it's when a when a set goes well, it stays with me for longer. So I, I think yeah, that's what's going to be. Wendell asks where you went to film school. Community college in Baton Rouge. BRCC. The BRCC. The community college had a better film program than uh, than LSU did, and so I chose them. Also, I am not in student debt anymore, so. (laughs) 
That is, you should pop your collar for that one. That is. <laughs> I paid, I paid, I paid a nickel for my degree. So I had to do. Uh, I went, uh, I did a little bit of community college at uh, Trinity Valley Community College, which has a nationally recognized cheerleader program <laughs> and a, a couple of episodes, a couple of seasons of a show about it. Yeah, it's, it's not as exciting. The, uh, let's see what Mr. Bible pants. Oh no, here we go. Saga not out. Uh, who are your other influences other than Gaffigan? I think we said Kyle Kinane fire, fire off a couple more of those top five. Uh, all right. A couple more of the top five. Uh, I might be a little pretentious and also say that legitimately my friends are some of the funniest comedians I know. And the problem is that they're not famous. So it's hard to say like, Hey, look at my friend, but I will also name people that I know that do have like albums or specials out that you would check out. Like my friend, Mike, who I mentioned did the first critical hit. That was a D and D show. Mike has an album on Spotify, Mike Honore, Splenda afternoon. He's a hilarious comedian still in Baton Rouge deserves all the success in the world. He is truly one of my favorite comedians to watch him and Howard Hall, both in Baton Rouge are amazing. Uh, here in Austin, definitely check out Andrew Murphy, check out Avery Moore, uh, check out Danny Goodwin, check out Glenn Rose when they're, oh, when they're on stage, Ava Smart. Uh, I can name so many great, uh, Clara Blackstone is amazing. So, so many good, Leah Sampson, uh, Carlton, oh God, so many good comedians here. Um, nationally, you can check out, uh, Matthew Broussard is very funny and he's a huge nerd. So any nerds listening who like math jokes, Matthew Broussard is a, uh, is a name to check out. He's very, very funny as well. Mark Norman and Sean Patton, both from Louisiana, both very famous now, both very, 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 very good at comedy. So, uh, Mr. Bible Pants asks, uh, what are some character classes that surprised you with how well or how poorly they work within your system for the improv show? So are there any classes that work really great or don't really great? Or you're like, oh, I thought fighters would be super easy, but oh, shit, no, it didn't for some reason. Actually, yeah, fighter is difficult to work with just because it is. Uh, I mean, this is a complaint about fighter classes in the actual game is that they can be boring. And guess what? In the show, they can also be a little boring because it's just a sword or an axe or whatever they have. So if people are playing a fighter, they kind of have to make up for it with their just comedy chops. Um, so class wise, it depends on the player, but fighter is a real big um, like possible miss. Um, the best class, surprisingly, has been barred so far. Um, that's been really, really, really successful. Uh, because the musical instruments have always added a really funny element <laughs> sometimes. I think I think my I think my fighter has been pretty, pretty cool that I was going to make. No, it wouldn't. Yeah, I think you I think. you uh, I tried to get you to do the double dragonborns, the red and blue dragonborns, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Billy and Jimmy, and nobody would do it. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. The double dragons. Oh, well God. look, man, we've got uh we've got a join the party coming up in March. And there you know go. that anything goes on those characters. So I think I pre-made the characters last time for you guys. Um, just to kind of give you guys some context for what I was looking for on those, but mm -hmm. we'll definitely open it up a little bit for y'all to have some fun with next time. Um we are gonna have to figure out how we do those because we've got five um, we have five Baba level supporters now that will be do join, doing the join the party. Um, five plus us. Yeah. Well, we're going to, we're going to figure something out. We're, <laughs> we'll, we'll have a conversation. With oh. we'll, we'll probably end up splitting that into 
two sessions on the same night. And I, I think we've got a cool way to, yeah, well, we got, I think I got a cool way of doing it with, I just got to get with jazz on how to coordinate it and make it happen. So I got my, my, my DM brain spinning on that a little bit, but uh, Lee actually reached out about too soon to make characters for it. And I was like, uh, and I was like, am I going to do something on a boat? And I was like, no, we're doing something on a boat for the start of Baba's Ark. Let's make this motherfucker on a train. So it's going to be on a train. Oh, and then we, when... Uh, I said we decrease, so that's perfect. Boop, all right, he's back. Um, uh, so, uh, so yeah, we've got to, we, we've got to do a little bit of strategizing with that and, and get with the uh, get with the Baba's. Snowpiercer-esque? No, not Snowpiercer-esque. What? What? Okay. Dude, there are Oriental, so many I'm other train-related stories other than Oriental Express. Like, not Oriental Express, but uh, what is Polar it? Polar Express? <laughs> Santa! Thomas the Tank Engine, and you've spoiled oh, it for everybody, you asshole. Way to go. Is it, is it classic Thomas the Train, or is it, do I get George Carlin Thomas the Train? Wait, what? Is there, is there a new Thomas the Train? Is it not? Was it George Carlin? He was the conductor yeah. in that, wasn't he? Yeah. It was, yeah. was it? All right, guys, what other questions do we have for, uh, oh, wait, hey, boop, here we go. Uh, has there uh, ever been anyone participating that rebelled against their character or otherwise broke the game? Yeah, um, they're actually on the show this coming month, too. My <laughs> roommate and good friend, Glenn. <laughs> um, Glenn played a, um, I can't remember the name, the, the, the race off the top of my head, the, the frog race. I can't remember what they're called exactly. Bullywugs. Bullywugs? Yeah, Bullywugs or grungs? Bigger little frogs? I think it was a Bullywog. Okay. Um, they played a Bullywog uh, named uh, Vincenzo Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> let me just say that Glenn is an agent of chaos, mm. and I, I knew that going into it. Yeah, we got one of those. And mm. uh, Glenn's off the bat. Like, are you? I always start every show with... As any good D and D campaign does, you are in a you start in a pub, mm-hmm. and so Glenn just goes, "I want to find cocaine." <laughs> this this, sound, this sounds like we have one of those. We uh, this, this sounds very familiar. I know a guy that does this. He was always looking over there. As any good DM, I go roll for it. Yep. <laughs> rolled a seventeen. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. So they found cocaine yep. <laughs> and the show went about like that mm. the rest of the time. Yeah. Uh, some highlights, some highlights. Uh, they ended up breaking their dick because a barbarian woman crushed it to death. Yeah. So that checks out. That checks out. <laughs> Are you playing with Moyle? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a secret identity. Is he, is he playing with one of our characters? No, man, I'm telling you, every, every good party needs that agent of chaos in it, man. Like if you, if you look at, uh, like I, there's always gotta be that one wild card. Um, but, but there's, I mean, there's constructive ways of doing it. You know what I mean? There's being, there's yeah. being an agent of chaos and then there's casting <clears throat> spirit guardians on your party members. So there's. <laughs> right. So luckily, luckily when, when I have Glenn this month, but I also have Ava who, like I said, has done the show for a third time now. And um, she's very, very good at understanding the pace and where the show needs to go. So I'm hoping that they kind of counterbalance a little bit. Well, well, cool, man. So I, then I, I guess, you know, when, uh, as we're, we're kind of coming up on time here, uh, guys, a, any any other questions for the chat from the chat for for Evan? Uh, well, that we wait for those to percolate in like they were going to answer me right that second because they have to fucking type <laughs> technology um, for as somebody who who is on stage and who is. Uh, who does have an improv background, what would be a tip you would have for a new DM or a new player that might find that 
that characterization intimidating or that, oh my God, I just, if I don't feel like if I have the book in front of me, I'm going to know what to say. Kind of, is there, I mean, because again, you're absolutely right. Improv is an art form and there's a lot of study that goes to it and a lot of teaching to it. And then, and like I said before, like that's asking what, asking a mechanic, what's the one trick I can do to make my car go faster, Yeah. but what's the one trick I can do to make my car go faster? Uh, well, an easy one I would do is find, uh, if you want to go this route, <clears throat> try and find like an online video, like a video or an, or someone who can teach some basic improv tools mm -hmm. without necessarily, if you want to pay for an improv class, that's not the worst option, Right. but I wouldn't necessarily recommend going through that unless you want to be an improviser. Right. Um, but learning some improv tips just in general is going to be helpful with that. But in terms of like being a player, I'm big on role playing your character. So it's all about putting aside the embarrassment of doing a weird voice or saying things that your character would say. And worst case scenario, also don't be afraid of just being like, my character says this, like, yeah, it can be a little jarring. It can be a little like eh, cowardly, I would also say, but there's also nothing wrong with it. Right. I'm just saying you can feel cowardly. Not that it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, uh, I get yeah, it. Don't, don't try my character if you don't know exactly what, like if you're trying to be smooth, I don't know what smooth actually sounds like because I'm a antisocial nerd. So I don't know what that means. <clears throat> you can say my character tries to do this or wants to say this and then work in tandem with your DM in that moment as to what that actually looks like and sounds like. And if you're a DM who needs some tips improvising, uh, don't forget that they can't see behind the screen. Uh, I don't know if I've ever gone with an actual dice roll unless it was a natural 20 and I needed to prove it. <laughs> oh, unfortunately, you're dead. See, see right yeah. here, the 20, you're dead. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, like the, the, the players don't need to know how much health the boss has. Right. The players don't need to know that they did or didn't actually pass that stealth check. Like, go, don't fudge everything to railroad them. Mm -hmm. But also, again, if it's going too easy, make it harder without telling them that's going to be harder. If it's too hard, knock a few health off, man. Like yeah. they can't see behind the screen. Yeah. You, you, you do have the ability to meter things up and meter things down in real time. You know what I mean? And, and exactly. you know, you, you will eventually stumble onto that player to be like, now, wait a minute. A, uh, a gelatinous cube should actually have 72 hit points. Um, Anthony? But no, no, he's never done that. I'm no. not a, I'm not a, I'm not a rules uh, Nazi. Anthony's never done that. <laughs> yes? No. Yeah, rules lawyering is something that I have. That is more fully correct. I, I mean, you know, that's the one thing. It's like, man, that's the, I just, I have no, no patience for, for rules lawyering at the end of the day. Uh, so, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, so if, obviously, if you're in Austin, Go see the show. Uh, get make sure you're vaccinated. Make sure you got to go in N95. Get out there, see the show. We'll put links up to to all your your social media and everything when we uh, when we uh, both uh, when we tweet this out and also because we'll take this and we'll rebroadcast this in our podcast feed in a, a couple of weeks from now. And so we'll re up on on all the links and everything when we send it out then. But is there is there any way on anywhere online other than the socials and stuff where they can see even if it's not the critical hit show like your comedy mm -hmm. or, or some other way that we can get people in here and get some eyes on your stuff? Uh, following on social is always the best way to support comedians. Honestly, um, the more people who follow us, the more legitimate our careers, which is a very, very sad state of affairs, but it is the way it is. Yeah. So yeah, Instagram, Twitter, uh, I'm pretty active on both of those. I do have a YouTube channel that I do have some stand up bits thrown up on there. So if you want to check out my stand up, I do have it up there as well. Uh, and 
Critical Hit Comedy Show on Instagram. Evan Rabelais spelled phonetically on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I don't spell it with my actual spelling because it's very confusing and I understand that too. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll send all those links and have y'all check that out. But yeah, just yeah. following on the socials is honestly the best way to do it. And if you have any questions or any, you know, want to see me, just let me know. I'll, I'll be wherever I want. I'm wanted. <laughs> so we will get all that out there. Guys, any, any last minute questions, uh, on the panel for Evan before we go? No, no. I don't think anyone's heard Jamie. I don't think Evan's heard Jamie's voice. I don't even think Jamie. <laughs> yeah. I think Jamie's been awfully quiet. Listen, I had questions that got answered, so I don't know. <laughs> you know what it is? You don't, you don't want to put on the tingle is, is the deal. You do not, you're trying to like, if I, don't say anything people won't yeah, remember that no. i'm here and they won't be incentivized to fucking pay patreon sponsor <laughs> how often has like the crowd like derailed a show for you like does that happen often or is it something that you usually can work around pretty well the only way a crowd has ever derailed a show uh for a critical hit at least is by not laughing mm. and it's like oh this isn't going well <laughs> i have to change something um <laughs> Stand up is different. You always get people who uh, will interrupt a show or whatever. And apparently, Zork has a question for me. I'm seeing the chat now. Oh, hey, here's Zorks for Evan. Wait, Mr. Bible Pants, why are you speaking for Zork Fox? What's happened? Um, <laughs> do you have any examples in which, geez, guys, you got to simplify these fucking questions. I have to read them in real time. Here's Zork's questions for Evan. Dost thou havest, do you have any examples in which? God damn it. And when you add chats while I'm trying to read, I can't fucking doesn't help. Hold still. Do you do I have any examples in which the players have created their own villain by way of improv or mistakes? Thank or you very like? much. Um, I don't know if I truly understand the question, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, if you mean have they created have they made themselves the the villain? Uh, to me as a personal human, yes, I hate some of my players. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've I've had to yell at players off script before, like, hey. That's not what your character would do. <laughs> but I've definitely had, but in the other way, I've actually had players who have integrated a villain into the story that I didn't expect either because it really worked with their backstory that we were working through during the game. Yeah. Or they um, basically talked to the wrong person the wrong way and it made sense to bring that person back. Yeah, you know, that person who's out of the chat. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, they're talking to someone who isn't a villain, but they say the wrong thing. And now that person, it makes, to makes sense to bring them back as a recurring villain role because they have now been made angry yeah. by the party. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely happened. Yeah, that's all the party of five does, guys, by the way. Um, <laughs> just think about how many arrows have sailed off into villages from Jamie alone. And they are amassing a rogues gallery. Uh, that uh, is 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 quite impressive, but so I sign my arrows. Obviously, you absolutely one hundred percent inscribe like yeah. in gold leaf Eldrin the arrows, Eldrin on one side, like my number two pencils. Yeah, it's <laughs> a fucking prick. <laughs> Jesus. All right, gang. Well, we are going to go ahead and uh, and wrap this one up. Thank you, Evan, for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for uh, for joining us in the chat. Um, be sure to uh, when we throw up the links and everything, I'll drop them all in the Discord for sure. Um, and then uh, we'll get them all in the show notes when we rebroadcast this thing out. Um, everybody, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Evan, for coming on. And everybody, hope you enjoyed the show. Make stream end now. See, that's our closer. It's easy. I just keep hitting buttons until we stop. <laughs>